This is attorney Andy Markintel and attorney Mark J. Victor. We are the attorneys for freedom, and you, my friends, are listening to the Peace Radicals podcast. How's it going, Mark? Excited to be here. Excited to be doing this podcast with you, brother. Excited to be pushing a global peace movement. It's all great. We're super fortunate and uh, happy to be here, man. Leading with the positivity as always, man. Plus, it's Friday. Which yeah, is Friday. it's Friday, too. All right. Well, my friends, if you have tuned into this podcast before, you know what we do at this point. We give you a summary about what the movement's all about. We're going to give you a a nice little uh, link here to click if you'd like to skip that summary and get right to the amazing guests that we have. But say you're clicking on it for the first time, you don't know what the Live and Let Live movement's all about. Mark, why don't you give us a summary? Yeah, so Live and Let Live is really a global peace movement. Hasn't kicked off yet. We're kicking it off uh, next March of 2023. And um, look, if you agree with the phrase live and let live, you're going to love the movement. First thing I want to point out, we don't care why you agree with the phrase. If you agree with the phrase because you're a Christian or you're a Muslim or uh, you're an objectivist or uh, maybe you like natural law, the social contract, whatever. If you like the phrase live and let live, you're going to love the movement. We're really simple. Uh, we got two things we talk about, live And let live. What does it mean to live? Well, it means that uh, you should be in charge of yourself. You're the captain of your ship. You are in charge of your own life. What does that mean? It means you own your body, property, money, and time. I like to say it as you should be the iron-fisted dictator of you. You run your life. You're in charge of you. Does that mean we can't sort of say anything about what you should do? No. We got things to say in our movement, Live and Let Live. Uh, We call this our moral principle, and we describe it with a very short phrase. How about you just be a good human? You know what that means. Yeah, we may have some arguments around the edges, but we define it in the Live and Let Live movement. We're going to tell you what we are suggesting here in terms of being a good human. What we mean here is open-mindedness, and I mean open-mindedness on everything. You should be happy to have your views changed on something. Don't take anything off the table. Be open-minded on every conclusion that you have. Also, tolerance. Let's tolerate other people. People live different. They look different. They think different. No problem. Let's be tolerant of how other people choose to live their lives. Also, voluntary kindness, the real kind, the kind that you do because it comes from your heart, not coerced kindness, but voluntary kindness, and civility towards other people. Can we agree to disagree? Can we not call each other names? Can we have a rational discussion? We want to lead by being the adults in the room. We care about facts and truth wherever they lead us and rational inferences from those facts. What we care about here is what's the truth wherever it goes, whether it comports with what we already believe or not. In building high levels of trust with other human beings, those are all your good relationships, the ones where you have a high level of trust. The ones that are bad, those are the ones with a low level of trust. Why do we care about this moral principle? Well, because what we care about in this space is optimizing human happiness and well-being and minimizing suffering. That's the moral principle, right? You're completely free to ignore it. You can be intolerant, closed-minded, unkind towards other people. You may say, Mark, I don't care about building high levels of trust so long as you follow one other mandate. What's that? We say, let live, right? Now, live means you're in charge of you. So what does let live mean? It means you got to let other people be in charge of themselves. They are the iron-fisted dictators of them. How do you violate that rule? Well, you violate that by aggressing against another person. This gives rise to our legal principle, 
we describe it simply with the phrase, don't be an aggressor. What do we mean by aggression? Aggression is an initiation of force against another person or their property. It's also engaging in fraud or coercion or doing anything that puts another person in danger. And we say in the Live and Let Live movement, nobody gets any free pass from the don't be an aggressor rule. We don't care what color your skin is or where you're born or who you love or what you celebrate or whether you're religious or non-religious, don't care. Nobody gets to violate the don't be an aggressor rule. And you don't even get to violate it if you form a little group, right? A small group, a big group, whether you're a corporation or even a government. Why would we ever want the government to aggress against anybody? Sure, they can defend us. Anybody can defend you. You can defend yourself. That's that's a response, a justified response to another person's initiation of force. So you've got the moral principle, right, which is, Look, you're in charge of yourself, you're in charge, you run your life, but we're saying some things here. We're saying be a good human. Then you got the legal principle. These are the kinds of rules that if you violate, we're going to do something to you. You could go to jail for violating one of these rules. And what we're saying here is just simply don't be an aggressor. If this makes sense to you, notice I didn't say anything about my personal opinions about anything because they don't matter. We're trying to get to peace here. It isn't about my personal opinion about how I should run my life. It's about I get to make these decisions for me. You get to make those decisions for you. Sure, we can make suggestions with each other. If people want to be peaceful jerks, as you might say, or act in ways that are really horrible and bad and negative, fine. We got to put up with them. They're not part of our movement, but as long as they don't aggress, they should be left alone. So there it is. Live and let live. In a nutshell. Nice uh, elevator pitch there, Mark, or a long elevator pitch, but I know what you guys are thinking. That, that five minutes of Mark blabbing it just on wasn't about enough. it wasn't enough. No. I need more of this, um, and, and you're in luck uh, because we have a long, excruciatingly <laughs> in-depth hour and 20-minute version of unpacking the principle in terms of the moral principle, the legal principle, giving an actual application to uh, very popular political issues. We encourage all of you to check that out if that just wasn't yeah, enough. Yeah, we go you. through Guns, drugs, even abortion we're not afraid to deal with. How does it apply to all these issues? So check out that podcast. It was really an interesting deeper dive into the what you might call the live and let live philosophy. But enough about us, Mark. There is somebody much more interesting than both, interesting. both of us combined on the no line kidding. right now. So let's get Dr. Michael Shermer involved in the conversation. So he is the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, longtime freedom activist. We saw him over at uh, Freedom Fest uh, this last year in South Dakota. He doesn't know, but I've been watching him for years. <laughs> I watched him speak at all different kinds of events. Dr. Shermer, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, my friend. Nice to see you, gentlemen. Andy, Mark, how's it going there? Doing very hey, well. Listen, Fantastic. that was a really nice summary. I, I have to say I agree, pretty much agree with everything you said. But I wonder if it's a little bit uh, uh, anodyne in the sense that the tough questions are where there's conflicting rights and where, uh, let's say, the rights of the fetus to live and the rights of the mother to choose take to take the abortion issue. You know, pro-lifers who believe that abortion is murder therefore feel justified in stopping you, even if it takes violence or the threat of violence through law from committing murder. And would that not be the unjustified uh, aggression against somebody else, even though a pro a pro choicer would take that to be, you know, a along your lines that you're not letting me live, I should be free to live as I want. And it seems to me there's a conflict there that can 
I don't know how to resolve it other than just the law through politics. I'm, I'll Let's take, try. <laughs> I'll take that question as, hey, Mark, how does the live and let live movement deal with the abortion question? It's an awesome, yeah, okay. it's an awesomely Good. great question. We've yeah. talked a lot right, about it. Me. And so, yeah, first off, I'll point out that most questions aren't really that hard, right? Most questions we can figure out pretty easily. There are several questions that are very difficult here. The way I would describe this question is, at what point does the unborn fetus get the protection of the legal principle. Now, some people say mm -hmm. the protection starts right at the moment of conception. Other people say, no, 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 there's a point later on down the line. We call it viability. And that's the point at which the legal principle starts protecting this. Um, so I would say this question, as well as the question of animal rights, right? A very, very closely related question. At what point do certain non-human animals uh, gain the protection of the live and let live legal principle. So what we say on this point is we own up and we say, look, there are some very hard questions here. These are two of them. What do we do when we have hard questions? Well, what we say is here you have a case where reasonable people, both equally committed to the legal principle and implementing it properly, can be in complete disagreement. So we say there are two reasonable constructions of the live and let live legal principle here. Well, you're not entitled to your personal construction. This would make you a judge in your own case. What you are entitled to is a reasonable construction. So what we do to handle this issue, which admittedly is a very difficult issue, we say when we reach an issue where there's more than one reasonable construction, let's let the local smallest community decide. So what what you would probably find here in Arizona, you'd find a community, say like Mesa, which is a very high population of Mormon, the Mormon community. And I have many Mormon friends over there who would say, Mark, to put it in the live and let live language, we think that the legal principle starts protecting at the moment of conception. I would say to them, well, fine, if you guys in your community want to ban abortion from the moment of conception, have fun. And in Tempe, where they have a different attitude about things, they would say, you know, we think that the protection starts at the viability point. And then what we're going to have is an awesome competing laboratory of small jurisdictions. And we're going to let the market decide which rule is better. Some people might say, you know, we don't like that rule in Mesa. We're not going to live there. We're going to move out. Okay, no big deal. You can move next door to Chandler or Tempe or something and still keep your job mm -hmm. and your friends and all of that. And then we're going to see how the market re resolves over time. People might say, I don't want to do business with the people in Mesa. That's okay. I don't know, but I suspect we're probably the market is going to equalize on maybe one or two main areas of rules. And if you happen to live in Mesa and you're legally prohibited from getting an abortion because of the way they interpret the legal principle there, okay, you drive over to Chandler or Tempe and it's not a big deal. This and perhaps more directly to uh, your question, Michael, if we have a community in which the uh, everybody agrees that fetus has reached whatever uh, point, maybe viability or something like that, where we are going to give it the benefit of the principle, and there's also the competing interests of the mom who is carrying the fetus, same answer. Yep. These are tough questions. We're going to relegate these decisions down to the lowest possible community not only for the competition aspect and letting the free marketplace of ideas rule out bad uh, ideas and, and rise good ones at the top, but also to lower the transaction costs that somebody may have to relocate and uh, and go to a different jurisdiction. Yeah, I like that. That would uh, that would solve the problem of, of uh, uh, people living in a, say, 
pro-life community of, of traveling to a place to get an abortion. Okay, so that's going to be difficult now, say in Texas, uh, where it's a long drive. You know, it could be a thousand miles. Well, it may not be the whole state, right? We think the more complicated the question, the lower level it should be. Yeah, I'm following your argument. Yes, get, go county by county. Because otherwise, we're going to be city. we're going to be fighting about this stuff forever, and we need to get to peace. Yeah. So we need to resolve these. There were many such difficult questions, like for example. What's a competent adult? You know, states currently have different rules on competency. There's not one right answer Mm. here. What's an adult? You know, is it 18? Is it 17? Is it 16? So I would say there are reasonable disagreements. There are also unreasonable disagreements, right? Because there will be communities who say, well, you know, we think eight years old is the age of uh, competency here. We can say to that community, sorry, that is an un. Uh, an unreasonable. This is what we have federalism for. This is how the legal system is calculated. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to work. Well, so if I follow your argument, uh, you would then be against Roe v. Wade because that was a, a federal law that mandates everybody act a certain way. So overturning Roe v. Wade would actually be good by your model because then it returns it to the states. It doesn't ban abortion. You're it just correct. says it's a state thing. But you would go even further and say uh, even the, city the state thing. is too big. A, yes. Yeah, it's a county. The or more city divisive thing, yeah. and complex the issue yeah. is. Is the easier for many different in fact look if they're gonna fight right let's make the smaller communities the ones at odds right bigger communities yeah, fighting okay is a so bad here's here, here's what could happen so pro choices would argue this then pro-life activists would work county by county to just throw up as many hurdles as they can you know like they have in texas where they pass laws about like the width of the hallway in the medical center has to be uh, wide enough to handle a, a surgical gurney even though those aren't used for abortions or whatever that was it, it, the whole thing was just a game to get the hospital well we want to, to stop, stop the games abortions. we want to stop the games if that community has decided that the legal principle doesn't start protecting until viability well then any law that is not in harmony with that would be violating the mm. rule would be considered aggression mm. so once mm. we figure out how the legal principle applies then every other law and regulation should be in harmony with that construction that reasonable construction of the mm. principle same is true with animal rights right you may get a community up in san francisco that says you know if you kill that cow uh, solely for the purpose because you like eating his dead flesh, you like the taste of his dead flesh, in the presence of other food to eat, in the presence of you know no medical conditions or anything, they may decide that violates the legal principle, and it might be illegal to eat a hamburger in that community, and then let's let the market <laughs> decide how that works. You know, we need to get past these kinds of issues so we can agree on the more important things about who gets to make these decisions and how they're applied, right? We can very easily resolve almost all other questions, the difficult questions we put in the low-level community. This is so we can get to freedom and peace. What do you think, Michael? All right, I got another one for you. Ah, good. Another one of these conflict. I got another these conflicting rights issues. Yes. This isn't a legal issue yet, anyway. Uh, but uh, Leah Thomas, the trans swimmer from Penn State, just won. Ah. Here we are recording on the March 18th. Just won the 500-yard uh, uh, national championship, so she is number one. But you can see her standing there next to the other uh the other the women the other women she's a she as you know is a biological male who identifies as a female and went through the ncaa mandatory one year uh hormone treatment and all that stuff which to me has no evidence that it 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 does enough to um reconfigure your body after puberty 
because your muscles and ligaments, tendons, bones, everything is much bigger and stronger than, than biological women. And, uh, and so it seems to me that, of course, I, I support trans, trans rights or human rights. Okay. But what happens when there's conflicting rights? You there's know, no a, conflicting a rights here. Well, a biological male that says, I have a right to swim as a woman because I identify as a woman. And the other women who would say, no, no, we fought for our rights to have women's sports alone and no men should be allowed in there. All right. How do you resolve that one? Well, this is an easy one to resolve. Um, this one is really a function of who owns the league. Who's the one making the rules about the league, right? So we can imagine well, different. the NCAA. Okay, well, then the NCAA will make whatever rule the NCAA wants to make in this area, and then people will decide whether they want to play in that league or not. And but so there are no other leagues. You know, this, these other women can't just go to another league. There is no other league. That's it. In, coll in collegiate sports, there's only NCAA. That's well, it. But that may be because of legal rules prohibiting competition in this area. And those rules rules themselves would violate the legal principle. So people need to mm. be free to start whatever leagues. And, you know, a related question to this is the question of bathroom usage, right? Let's say somebody uh, mm. says, you know, mm -hmm. look, I've now declared myself a female, even this we're talking about a biological male who claims some right to use the female bathroom. Well, what I would say is who's the owner of the bathroom in this case? That's the person who ought to decide under what conditions and what rules apply to who can use that bathroom. That, that person They're has a right. Uh, let's just make it public bathrooms. Okay, well, the problem here is that you have a public bathroom, right? And so our, <laughs> okay. our, our but, it, but it really is. It's the same problem with prayer in yeah. school. If you want to resolve the issue of prayer in school, you privatize the school and then the parents will decide what school they send their kids to. But if you are going to have a public restroom, well, restrictions on the government are different than restrictions on private individuals. And so if it truly was a, you know, if we can't get out of the scenario, if we can't avoid the scenario by saying, let's privatize the situation, we should first acknowledge that completely resolves the issue. So we devolve this stuff from public to private. But if we're stuck with private analysis, then what I would say, the government doesn't get to discriminate on a whole host of bases, nor would we want them to, right? The government doesn't get to restrict content of speech. Private individuals do get to restrict content of speech. It's those kinds of differences where we restrict government from discriminating on bases that we think are inappropriate. So uh, to me, I would say whatever rule that the government wants to decide, which is probably going to be a function of what's constitutional and what the majority wants here, what I'd prefer to see to fix this problem is let's devolve those bathrooms and those leagues down to private leagues and let's let the owners make the decision. Yeah, back to, back to the league. Well, I, I follow that. Um, but the problem is, is you have this kind of infant industry uh, problem where once somebody gets a toehold like the NFL – you can say all you want. Well, you're free to start your own National Football League and call it the, you know, the American Football League or whatever the other word would be. Somebody did that. Remember years, I don't know, 20 years yeah. ago, they sued the NFL. USFL, yeah. Yeah, the USFL, right. And, and the courts, if I recall, decided that, no, you're free. Uh, uh, it is kind of a monopoly. You're free to start your own league, but but you keep, but you can't. I actually, I forget how that uh, uh, was settled, but I think they got a dollar or something. <laughs> so go ahead and start your own league, uh, but you can't. I mean, th this is like how does anybody compete against, you know, uh, the NFL or the NCAA? Um, it's just 
impossible. That's not the world we live in. Well, it's not really so impossible, right? I mean, first, I would say that to the extent the government protects that monopoly, and I suspect there are lots of rules that require, you know, there are union rules that apply, and there's there's mandatory yeah, yeah. bargaining provisions and things like that with unions. So if it was a true free market, right, and to the extent it's not, I would say that violates the principle to begin with. But if it's a true free hmm. market, and people really are upset about the rule that that league picks, imagine the the NFL today says, you know, we uh, we've decided to, to be racist and we're going to ban uh, black people, gay people, white, whatever. Pick your group. Right. I feel very confident there would be a stampede of people away from the NFL, as there should be. And as there was to some extent over the recent controversy about kneeling down and uh, lots of people said we're going to boycott mm. the NFL. So this is really a function of how upset people really are about the rule. And so we'll have to see, but we have to have some confidence that big boys and girls who are adults in a free society will make decisions uh, that they think are appropriate. In fact, they're going to be more responsible for these types of decisions in the kind of world we envision. We should be more socially conscious about these. Yeah, issues. I mean, in our lifetime, there have been uh, what we would have seen a few years ago as major monopolies in a given area that it would have been easy to say, how on earth is anybody ever going to compete with this? Uh, take uh, Facebook, for example. It yeah. used to be the only game in town after MySpace closed down. Facebook was the premier social media Microsoft, site. Microsoft, Google, yeah. Would have, would have been very easily to say, okay, how is there ever going to be something to compete with this? Now it's pick your poison. There's ones even based on your political affiliation. There's yeah. all kinds of stuff. So in a truly free market, like right now with the NCA. I mean, if, if if it's true that the court of public opinion thinks that the result is is wrong here somehow, that this uh, that the biological male, even though jumping to what the NCAA has deemed appropriate to be able to compete with women, if public opinion uh, thinks that that's wrong, they are suffering right now in the court of public opinion. And if there weren't laws against competition in this area, I think it very conceivable that a lot of girls and their parents would want them to compete in a competing league. Yeah. Well, I know that we know that a lot of these girls are and their parents are upset about it, but they're afraid, mostly afraid to speak out because of, of cancel culture yeah. and being silenced and being accused of being transphobe. And you know how that goes. Yeah, you know, sure. you, 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 you're not in favor of black lives. What? You don't think black lives matter? And, you know, and that makes you a racist. Yeah, we well, got to we got to okay. win the argument here in the moral realm. Right. We have to get back to the idea of defending the rights of people to say whatever it is they want to say in terms of their content and and recognize that this is a very pro freedom concept, especially defending the most offensive types of speech. I mean, Andy and I, we we sort of search around as lawyers to look for the most offensive thing <laughs> uh, that might be getting censored. The more for horrendous the more we want the case because it's the principle that we're trying to teach right it's the ideas and as criminal mm -hmm. defense lawyers we like to represent the most vile of people choose with the most vile of crimes because these are the ones where everybody's ready to lynch the person but there's an important there's important heavy lifting work to do in that area if we are to have a civilized society which is before you put another human being in a cage you dot the i's and cross the t's we insist on due process in a fair trial we got to get people we got to 
inspire them to get back to these ideas. You can't legislate a virtuous society. You got to inspire people to be virtuous. And really, this is the underpinning of what we're trying to do here with the Live and Let Live movement. Okay, I got another one for you. Love it. Oh, these are fun. um, Yeah, these are fun. (laughs) So now this is purely hypothetical, but let's just say a, a big a big country like Russia invaded some small country <laughs> like Ukraine. That would never and, happen. Yeah, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> and the people of Ukraine uh, came to America and said, you know, help. We need your help. Uh, you know, you, you don't you have a more, don't we have a moral obligation to help them? And isn't that our job to intervene and, and including using violence if necessary to stop an aggressor? Sometimes you sometimes bullies need to be stood up to with violence or else they're going to keep going. Yeah. So with that, how does that how do you square that circle about, you know, no, no aggression? Yeah, well, there's there's a few things packed into this question, right? First, we're going to assume for the purposes of this discussion, something I think is true, which is that Russia indeed is the aggressor in this situation against the Ukraine. Second, people who have come to the United States now are people asking for sort of assistance. And there's two varieties of requests here. One, uh, help me sort of integrate into society. I need food. I need health care. I need these kinds of things. And the second is, hey, fight that bully off. Well, as to the first area, I would say that there are the world is packed with people who are in need of help. And we do have a moral, I believe we have a moral obligation to help them. But I would distinguish that from a legal obligation to help them. Those are different things, right? Mm-hmm. A legal obligation to help them means that whether you want to help them or not, you're forced into helping them. I would say that's not a legal obligation. That is a moral obligation, one that we should and do with our aspirational value of voluntary kindness, encourage in the strongest possible terms, we should help these people. Now, the question of fighting the bully off really breaks down into two subcategories. One, and I think you can make this argument right now, that bully over there is actually creating a substantial risk against us when they when they were threatening that nuclear power plant over there, that's the kind Mm -hmm. of thing that creates a substantial risk against the U.S. So if we take that as a given, then they are violating the legal principle as to us, and we are absolutely allowed, without violating the legal principle, to intervene. Now, is it smart for us to do so? That's a completely different question. This is a strong Mm. bully who's got nukes. But are we obligated uh, to fight off a bully who's not a direct threat to us, right? If I'm walking by and two people are in a fight and I know one's the aggressor and one's not, maybe I have a moral obligation to go over there and help the, the person who's being aggressed upon. But I don't think I have a legal obligation in that regard. Even if I'm legally allowed to use self-defense, doesn't mean it's always the smart thing to do. As I teach people mm-hmm. in the classes that I teach about being a legal rights and responsibilities of gun owners, that you have a right to pull out your firearm and discharge around doesn't mean it's the smart thing to do. If you can get out of there Mm -hmm. and retreat, Mm -hmm. exit stage left is probably the better strategy. So we don't really have a conflict of rights here. What we're trying to be clear about is what's a legal duty and what's a moral duty. That's really the key. You know, the first question. Well, let's say it was uh, NATO. So let's say, you know, they uh, invade Poland or there's a jet shot down over Poland and Poland is a member of NATO. You know, Directive 5 says uh, any attack on any one NATO country is an attack on all of them. And we are now legally obligated to uh, get involved militarily. You'd be okay with that? Well, whether I'm okay with it or not is the question of whether I think that the U.S. should have engaged in such a contract. 
but it seems that yeah, the, that's what, yeah, it seems right. that the U.S. has engaged in such a contract. The wisdom of that we could leave for a different discussion. Mm. But they've engaged in mm. a contract, and it seems like now they're contractually obligated, as a matter of contract principles, to engage under those circumstances. So there mm. again, I don't think we have a conflict of rights. I think we just got to think carefully about whether something is a legal violation or a moral violation. So whatever question you throw at me, I'm always going to first think, is that legal principle being violated? If it is, then I'm always going to conclude, I'm against it, we should stop it, let's use whatever force we need to use to stop it, let's punish them if they did it. But if they didn't violate the legal principle, then I'm going to think about the moral principle. I'm going to say, well, are they violating the moral principle? If the legal principle is not violated, I'm going to say as a legal matter, let's leave them alone. But if they're violating the moral principle, like, for example, the white supremacist store owner who says, I'm not doing business with those Jews or blacks or Mexicans or whoever – He's not violating the legal principle, so I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to defend his right to act as a jerk, as I would say, a peaceful racist or whatever. As long as he's not aggressing, he's left alone. But because he's violating the moral principle, I'm going to say, look, you're not part of our crowd, and I'm going to do my best to try to get him to change his mind, which I think I might be able to do. I can explain to him the way he's acting isn't really in his self-interest. I think the market is going to make him change his mind pretty quick. The market will, too. But I'm I'm going to defend his right to be peaceful while still having horrible views. Yeah. So the, the Colorado cake baker, uh, that should not have been a, an issue. He's free to not bake cakes for gays if he if he wants. And, and if he's a, uh, you know, a bigot and a racist asshole, then we'll just identify him as such. And maybe he'll go out of business, but whatever. Easy resolution here. Yeah. Other bakers would, would be glad to make cakes for gays. And so the market will solve that problem. So there, if you go, if you rewound the tape to 1950s and you have pretty much all uh, counters, uh, uh, sorry, uh, diners and restaurants, you know, refused to serve blacks. So it's not like every other restaurant is racist and every other, uh, and then the, all the other rest are not racist. And so blacks could just pick and choose. Pretty much they were shut out of most of society. Did that not take federal intervention? And in the case of um, integrating the schools in Alabama, again, public schools. So I know what your response to that mm-hmm. will be. But at some point, was it Kennedy or was it Eisenhower that, that sent the troops in? Federal troops that said, you will, you will integrate these classes because otherwise you're in violation of the Constitution. And that's what it took, right? It was... Um, uh, what's his name? The the governor of Alabama. Uh, you know, segregation now. Right. Segregation. Wallace forever, wasn't right? it? Wallace. Wallace. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, sometimes you know, racist assholes like that. That's the only way to do it. Just look, dude, you're going to do this, or else. Well, you know, my reaction to that is, I, I would take issue with the idea that it took government intervention. Slavery didn't end because the law changed. Slavery ended because the people's hearts and minds changed. Marijuana isn't getting legalized because the government government led on this issue. Marijuana is being changed, as did gay marriage Mm. get changed, because the hearts and minds of people got changed. The same is true for racism, right? That the government passed a law saying, look, you can't discriminate. That didn't stop racism. Some people still are racist. What changed is the Mm -hmm. hearts and minds of people. People need to be free, like they were incidentally, back in the late 18s, early 19s, uh, when when my my crowd came over, the Jews, and uh, nobody wanted to trade with the Jews. Nobody wanted to do business with the Jews. So what did the Jews do? They started their own companies and businesses. So did the Asians. So did the Irish. And they traded with each other. And universities. 
Yeah, they did. They did a lot, quite a bit of things there for sure. But they didn't say we're victims and we need to get the government to force other people yeah, to trade yeah, with us. Yeah. They did the right. Okay, thing. I'm going to take issue with the with the, uh, the 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 slavery thing because it seems to me, as I re- read the record, without the U.S. without the in, in America anyway, without the Civil War, slavery probably would have gone on economically at least through the 1890s, maybe even to the early 2000s, um, or sorry, early 20th century. Um, it didn't seem like the South was moving in the direction of abolishing slavery. Uh, they left the Union because they wanted to maintain slavery. All right, so they made states right a states' rights argument, but that was just a, a cover for what they wanted. The states the right to do is to own people, and they they weren't on the way to changing their hearts and minds. Well, slavery is <laughs> is different to me than the question of discrimination, right? Because for the same reason we say the cake baker gets to discriminate, we do not say that you get to have a slave. Slavery actually in itself violates the print the legal principle. Therefore, yes. we're yes. absolutely allowed is a matter of def- what we what we lawyers would call is defense of a third party right you are absolutely allowed to go in there and as my good friend professor walter block would say punch the slave owner in the nose free the slave and get out of there he would say no right, no problem right. so yeah we got right. a right to we got a right to use force to stop that problem but i think it comes back to really we want to live in a virtuous and civilized society i think i think civilized reasonable people do. And I think the right approach here is to say, to recognize we can't legislate this, right? We can't pass a law that says we hereby have virtuous people who live in our country or in our community. This is something we got to do. We got to lead on this issue. And we talk about this in our movement as first, own the message, get your brain around what it is we're saying. And then second, live the message, live it, be an example. Don't just talk about being a good human, actually be a good human, go out there and lead by example, <laughs> which is what we're, that's mm-hmm. why I start. You, you notice in my summary, I talk about the moral principle before I talked about <laughs> that. And it kills me as a lawyer to not put the legal principle out there. Cause you know, that's what I want to talk about. But that moral principle is something we said, look, if we're going to say something in this space, let's say the right things. Let's talk about bring out the best version of yourself. Let's inspire people to do better. And I feel, especially at this point where we are right now in history, where I can put up a website that says liveandletlive.org and and guys in Nigeria, and we have 10 countries in Africa right now going like this, talking about live and let live, (laughs) so excited. Messages and ideas and thoughts right now can spread like never before across the planet. We got the right position and we're willing to say, let the strength of what it is we're saying be the engine behind the movement. Michael, um, if you're done firing these awfully fun hypotheticals at us, there is some stuff that I want to pick your brain about because you're certainly an expert in this subject and you may have heard in Mark's summary and something that's really important as an aspirational moral value. Um, and perhaps even more than that um, in our movement is a, uh, a dedication to figuring out the facts, converging on the facts, finding the truth, uh, and pursuing the facts to whatever, uh, wherever it may lead us. And it seems, it seems awfully a lot to me like we are having a major crisis with this issue in our country. I know you've talked about this extensively. Um, I know you've—I uh, think you're doing something right now on conspiratorial thinking. Um, I know that mm-hmm. you, you've uh, written about uh, why people believe all kinds of crazy shit. I may have just crudely uh, uh, paraphrased the title of one of your <laughs> books. Um, so what, do, do you see this— as 
is a, a major issue right now. Here, and what... here it is. It, it's why people believe weird things. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Tell, tell us okay. about this issue and, and what are your thoughts on it these days? Yeah. Okay. So right now, yeah, get into the heart of what I do. So yeah, my next big book is on, uh, cons- it's called Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. It'll be out in, in the fall. And the problem is... Um, with determining what's true is and is that the label that's just a conspiracy theory it's kind of a pejorative it, it means you know it's a bunch of bullshit and you shouldn't believe it but in fact conspiracy theories are just a theory about an actual conspiracy which may or may not be true right. uh and but we know conspiracies happen all the time I mean, governments conspire to lie to their citizens, to rig elections, and, you know, just go back to the Pentagon Papers, the Afghanistan Papers more recently, WikiLeaks, you know, to what extent the government covers up things it's doing that's either immoral or illegal without congressional approval and so on and so forth. And uh, enough of those happen, this is my thesis, is that it's rational to actually err on the side and make more type one errors, assume conspiracy theories are true even when they're not, versus a type two error where you assume that the conspiracy theory is not true and it turns out it is because there are coalitions of people that do things that are not good, either immoral or illegal against you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm claiming that we actually evolved a kind of cognition for um, being a little on the suspicious side because people do try to cut corners and get away with things if they can. You know, governments do this a lot. You know, uh, the example I use of, uh, in the corporate world, Volkswagen conspiring to cheat the emission standards in Europe. That's a kind of conspiracy, right? Or, or drug companies that lie about their addictive products or, you know, just take your pick, uh, you know, insider trading that's against the law and and so on. And, uh, and of course, you know, WikiLeaks has revealed to what extent uh, the U.S. government was surveilling its own citizens without, you know, warrants, you know, wire, uh, what is it, uh, warrantless um, wiretapping? Is that the legal term, warrantless yeah, wiretapping? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So the, you know, the surveillance of American citizens, not and not just metadata, keeping track of like how many phone calls are being made overseas or whatever, but actual content of phone calls and emails and so on, even monitoring Angela Merkel's cell phone. You know, under Obama, Mr. Transparency, President Transparency, not so much. And, uh, you know, keeping those prisoners in, uh, Guantanamo. In, in Guantanamo Bay because it's not U.S. soil. Therefore, they're not subject and protected by the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And there are still prisoners there from 20 years ago. That It's it just astonishing. They're not getting uh, a, a trial. And, uh, you know, so there's enough of that that goes on. It's it's rational to be um, a little paranoid about the government. Yeah. And or any anybody that has a lot of power, right? You know, there there does some there does some de- seem to be something in the human psyche that when people get power, no matter what they say ahead of time, like uh, I'm going to be the good, you know, the benevolent dictator, but almost all of them become not benevolent <laughs> once they get the power. They just can't seem to give it up. And uh, you know, Washington was one of the rare ones, right? Uh, nope, I'm going to retire. I'm going back to my farm. What, <laughs> dude? Don't you know you're supposed to, you know, take over the reins and rule until you're dead, <laughs> right? Like Chi uh, and and Putin. And uh, so you know, the checks and balances we have are great, but you know, we're we're a long ways from. Uh, you, you know, from resolving that problem. Uh, I, I, I am curious to see how far you'll go 
with me on this. At the end of the, my book, The Moral Arc, I speculated about maybe centuries from now, there'll be no more nation states and that they'll just be city states. And, and, and with porous economic and political borders, you don't even really need to call them political borders. You don't need any borders at all. I mean, you can have borders around your house or maybe your gated community, but you know, maybe the most powerful person on earth will be the mayor you know, because the mayor solves local problems. I yeah. call it the pothole problem. Yeah. Right. You know, I don't, I don't care what's going on a thousand miles away from here. I want my pothole fixed out there, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but it just seems like we're so far from that, you know, just the idea of the nation state seems so cemented in our psyche that it's hard to get around that huge political entity. But for all the reasons you, you guys are articulating on your show, uh, the nation state is a problem, you know, here, you know, the activities of one guy, Putin, you know, could affect everybody, mm -hmm, all yeah. of us. This guy lives, what, 9,000 miles from me. What do I care what he does? This is why or, well. or the or the <laughs> actions of some scientists in a lab in Wuhan or a right. wet market or something on the complete other side of the planet affects what happens in the grocery store right down the street here in Chandler, Arizona. This is exactly why we need a global movement because we currently, whether we like it or not, we live in a global community. And I think the yeah. nation state, while it's still very relevant, as you point out, it's doomed ultimately, right? Because it's already happening before our eyes. Powerful corporations are doing business in different countries across nations, multinational. Uh, people now travel with ease. We do business and commerce with ease. People move uh, much easier. We are actually a global community. Our weapons, our, our technology now is such that what people do on the other side of the planet can create a substantial risk, which is why we do need to get a global understanding about aggression this is really the base bottom thing we look imagine if we hated each other and we were sort of warring all the time what would be the first thing we could possibly agree on it was be how michael how about you don't hit me over the head and i don't hit you over the head this would be our first basic agreement right how you live your life I got to tolerate that if I don't like it. And I may not like it. We're never going to get to freedom or peace until we get this message across to people. We've got to get comfortable with the idea that other people might live in ways we find immoral, unhealthy, unwise, not in their own self-interest. And we need to be willing to defend their rights to live in such ways while still speaking out against it and trying to convince them to live in different ways. This is really highlighting the difference between the legal and the moral, which is why we have two very distinct principles here. Okay. Yeah. I don't care if somebody paints their door pink in my neighborhood, but I do care if let's say their trash it, you know, flows down the stream uh, into my water or, you know, they're, they're burning uh, fires on their land and the smoke, you know, blows into my house, whatever. So, you know, that, that kind of, that, that's another one of those. Conflicting well, let's, let's, things. it's not a conflicting right at all. Let's analyze it. This is trespass violates the rule. And so if somebody is mm. trespassing their pollution, whether it is pollution that gets into my water or pollution that's into the air across my property, this is a trespass like any other trespass. We don't have to get fancy with this. Well, like, privatization solves a lot of this, too. Hey, you want to come live in my neighborhood that I own the property for? You're going to have to agree to a covenant or something like that that says you're not going to pollute. Mm. Or maybe even not paint mm. your door pink because that's what yeah. we've all decided yeah. to As do. As to the pink 
pink door, I agree. But even if we don't have an agreement on the smoke, let's say Michael and I are neighbors next to each other, right? We could probably agree, and we have a fancy term for this in the law. We call it de minimis, right? If Michael's out cooking hamburgers mm. in his backyard, and I'm taking away the animal rights argument for a moment here. Michael's cooking <laughs> hamburgers here, and I can smell them in my backyard. Is he actually trespassing on my property? The truth is he is. He's, he's pa- trespassing little mm. molecules across my property. But you know, we lawyers have already dealt with this. We say, look, this is de minimis. What do we mean by that? It's such a small thing, it's not actionable. At some point, mm. though, it becomes actionable. When Michael, because he's a terrible barbecuer, gets a huge pile of smoke coming across my property and I can't breathe and everybody's coughing and choking, I would say at this point all reasonable people would agree that he's trespassing and I get to stop him from doing that because he's violating the legal principle. Well, there's a point in the middle there where reasonable minds can disagree on whether this is a trespass or not. That may be a trespass of smoke, a trespass of sound, a trespass of light. How do we deal with those? We deal with them the way we deal with them now. Local communities make the decision. They have different Mm. standards. Probably the noise uh, that's permitted at 11 o'clock at night on the Vegas Strip is different than the noise that's going to be permitted in a (laughs) sleepy little community over in Mesa or something. They have different standards of what's de minimis there. That's okay. Mm. We don't need a one-size-fits-all here. But there are reasonable areas where we can say that's not a trespass. This is a trespass. All we really need to do is, is identify the principle that aggression is wrong and then apply that principle consistently across all different scenarios. And you'll find we always get to the right answer by doing this. We just need to think clearly about it. Michael, can we get you back to, to the issue oh, yeah, of converging yeah. on facts? I love which the is, little side issues. Though. It's good. It's a good issue, but I do want to get you back to the issue of converging on facts yeah. here. And what, what a lot of people are really concerned about, I think with the age of, of all this uh, rapidly shareable information that we've been talking about as such a de facto benefit, right? I think people are one are, are starting to get legitimate worried that uh, this has just given rise to the um, to the dissemination of misinformation or disinformation and that actually mm-hmm. um, it's been kind of a, uh, a curse in disguise that's disguised kind of as a blessing is this free exchange of information leading to more uh, beliefs in bullshit and and uh, things that are taking us away from rational thought and yeah, how do we, your thoughts how do we converge on whatever it is that's true there are truths in the world how do we figure out what they are mm. when when it's mm-hmm. a when you what you believe is probably a function of what news channel you watch and what echo chamber you're in in your social media group. I, I find this a, a very serious problem as well as Andy. Yes, it's a concern. I, I I am concerned about it as well. Although, like the invention of the printing press, the invention of the internet is going to have some downsides. People can print porn. Hitler can print Mein Kampf and so on, but we also get Shakespeare and, and, you know, and so forth. So the internet's brought, you know, mostly uh, good for freedom and knowledge for more people in more places, much cheaper, mostly free. That's all good. So, uh, you know, my, my answer is a technolo- technological solutions. That is fact-checking sites. And there are fact-checking sites that, uh, you know, like PolitiFact and Snopes, Skeptic, my own a little bit, um, but ours are, are more science-oriented rather than political oriented, but the idea that um, you can't really trust any one source, Fox News, CNN, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you got to read them all. Well, no one can read them all, but there are news aggregators now and they screen, you know, which which papers are more or less uh, reliable. And even there, there are even sites in which they rank 
the quality of the articles themselves about to what extent they may be left-leaning or right-leaning. And that depends what you want. You know, I mean, people that watch, let's say Hannity or, or Carlson or Ingram on Fox news in the evenings, they know what they're getting. Those shows are not, well, they may be pretending to be journalists, but they're they're not, and everybody knows they're not. So I guess as long as you're upfront about it and says, look, I'm going to give you a conservative spin on everything. You know, on this show, we hate liberals. We think Democrats are evil. And we're going to tell you uh, that everything Joe Biden does, every single thing he does is terrible. So that's what you're going to get on this show. Okay, well, then at least I know that up front. <laughs> the problem is when people pretend to be more objective, you know, fair right. and balanced. Well, come on. Guys, you're not being fair and balanced, okay? So just the, the, the sign of honesty, and I think uh, people holding them to the flames on the fact-checking thing is good. That's one solution. Um, in terms of how it actually happens in the real world, in science, you do get a convergence of consensus toward a, a particular conclusion as a hypothesis is tested over and over and over. It takes a while, years, sometimes decades before it gets resolved. And, uh, and that's okay. So the problem is, is that um, we call this anomaly hunting because no theory explains every single fact. So there's always going to be a residue of uns unexplained anomalies in the world that you can find. And people think, well, if I find this one thing right here that 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 gainsays your entire theory, well, that's not how it works, you know. That uh, uh, you know that scientists have kind of been working on this problem for a long time, you know, ninety-seven percent of them converge to that conclusion. Well, what about the other three percent? You know, maybe they're right. Here I'm referring to climate change, uh, anthropogenic global warming. Um, okay, they may be right. I mean, it's true in the past that has happened, but it's pretty rare. And it's rare for a particular reason, because no, not, no, no one person is omniscient and smart enough to figure it out on their own. So you have this kind of community of, of experts in a particular field working to try to solve the problem. And they're, they're also very competitive. They, they'd each like to be the one that figures it out. Right. And so they kind of push back and forth against each other. And so I put forth an idea. I'm spitballing ideas and you're pushing back on. Oh, no, I'm not buying that. And then I refine mine and you, you know, we go back and forth like this. And that's how it gets resolved. You know, that, you know, like the Big Bang Theory won out over the steady state theory or, you know, Darwin's theory, you know, after a few decades was pretty much accepted by everyone because it's true, because there was a convergence of evidence from multiple lines of inquiry. And, you know, this is how we know evolution is true, because it's not dependent on any one scientist, one lab, one study. You know, it's, you know, tens of thousands of scientists working in different fields. They don't even know each other and they don't work in the same fields. They don't publish in the same journals and they keep coming to the same conclusion. And that's why I'm reasonably confident about uh, uh, anthropogenic global warming as being, you know, real. Um, now we can set aside to what extent it's going to be catastrophic. We need government intervention. That's a separate question. Just is the world getting warmer and is it largely caused by human activity? Yes and yes. And the chances of that not being true at this point are pretty low because of so many studies just piling up by, again, scientists working independently of one another, different labs studying completely different things. Somebody studies greenhouse gases, somebody studies glaciers, somebody else studies solar activity, somebody else studies the flowering of plants and when they come online in the spring earlier and earlier because it's getting warmer when salmon do their spawning what you know the, again it, it's all pointing to this one thing so 
my, my, my credence is fairly high because the priors I had, which were skeptical, they were low. I was pretty much a climate skeptic in the 90s or so. Because I'm old enough to remember when I was in college, there was a lot of the doomsaying, the kind of Paul Ehrlich population bomb. We're all going to hell. It's all going to fall apart. The rainforest is going to be gone by 1984. And none of this happened. So by the 90s, I'm thinking, you know what, I've heard this stuff before. And uh, but, you know, 20, 15 years later, I'm like, OK, now there's a lot of evidence for this. Again, not doomsdayism, but just the fact, the scientific facts. And uh, and so this is tr true. So we've seen this during the pandemic. Right. Um, you know, the and, and the problem with 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 some of this, like the lab leak hypothesis, that that was actually a legitimate one at first. And then all of a sudden that became taboo. And then it became a, a conspiracy theory. Well, it was never a conspiracy theory. No one was accusing the Chinese of doing this on purpose as a biological weapon. It was a sort of a gain of function research and an accident. Lab accidents do happen. And, you know, I had Matt Ridley on my uh, podcast. He's got a new book with uh, Alina Chen on called Virus, Viral. And, uh, you know, they weigh the two hypotheses, the zoonomic hypothesis. It came from a bat or mongol or wet uh, market and the lab leak. And to me, reading the evidence, it's kind of 50-50. It could go either way. I'm not convinced of either one. And yet, until recently, it was not okay to even talk about that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not good. That you know, Forget all this cancel culture taboo. There's certain things you're not allowed to say. Always a bad idea. Right. Why? Mm -hmm. Because none of us know everything. And the only way we're going to uh, you know, get ourselves corrected and back on the right path is if we listen to you know, outsiders. Okay. So I, I am a fan of outsiders. That's okay. Usually they're wrong. Okay. There's a reason for the consensus. Usually they're wrong, but not always. Right. So like when Joe Rogan has on Robert Malone or Brett Weinstein on his podcast, I'm like, okay, what's wrong with that? You know, just let people talk. <laughs> and uh, now if I did it, I'd probably have somebody else on the other side of Robert Malone and go, all right, now you explain what you think of what he just in said. real time. And then you get well, the in push, real time. Yeah. The pushback there. And who did we have on just recently? We talked about this. Kraus, Lawrence oh, Krauss. Krauss. We right. had Lawrence Krauss on this and, and we talked about this issue. You know, the the problem here, and just to and I'm not I don't have firm opinions on this either, and I loved everything you just said. You're just a lawyer, dude. Yeah, you don't I'm know just, shit what about do I this. know about this stuff at all? But um, <laughs> you know, the pushback on this stuff, as as Professor Krauss said, was the problem here is when you put somebody up who's really an outlier in the very extreme minority and you present that position with one other <laughs> yes, person on the right. other side, now you got that's people right. saying, Hey, you know, that vaccine thing, I'm gonna die from that vaccine right. and they don't take it and i'm and of course i'm assuming here because i don't know because i'm a lawyer that the vaccine is relatively safe and relatively protective against severe illness and death for for covid it's like putting a uh, scientist on the same stage as a sun worshiper yes, or something like that right and so that's the pushback and so yes, we've yes, got to be yeah, smart yeah. enough to discern and say okay even though there's two people here again this is your one creationist versus one evolution person on the stage together and people say well i don't right. know, i don't under, i don't know what to believe the issue is yet re to be yes, resolved yes. or something like that yes. so th it's a more difficult question i think and this was the one thing we really wanted to talk to you about on this show today because we don't have a good answer for this i we're think we're really worried about the problem of bullshit and the dissemination of bullshit and how it permeates people's it minds it is a pro it is a problem it is a problem yes and a lot of us are working on it. there's a large skeptical 
rationality community that pushes back against this. And and I do think we're making progress, but of course, you know, it's the unsinkable rubber ducks that keep popping up here and there. And all we do is keep pushing back. You know, the you know, again, the, the examples you just gave are great. Before, you know, another one in climate change. Um, you know, you used to see Richard Lindzen from MIT on all these shows. He was on, you know, pretty much every talk show. And then they'd have some climate scientist, and it was always a different climate scientist, but it was always only the one guy, Richard Lindzen from MIT, because he was the only one. But with impressive credentials still. So a guy like with me, the, who's a criminal right, defense right. lawyer, who says, look, I, I know about criminal, I know about legal things, but I don't know about, you know, viruses or climate change or whatever. Pick your poison. I don't understand right. enough about this. So you know, I liked what you said at the beginning. Because I, I, I interpret your answer here in terms of the fact checkers and how we're getting better and better in this is saying, look, the free market is actually going to come up with a solution here if people really are interested. And that's the big if, right? If they're interested and in not just confirming what their previous beliefs are, but if they're interested in what's actually the truth, which is part of what you'll notice we're pushing with Live and Let Live, then there'll be organizations out there that are going to become more authoritative in terms of saying, okay, this is BS, this isn't BS. And guys like me, and frankly, most of the world who don't understand some of these complex questions we need that and if there's a real need for that i expect that there will be providers that will arise in the market i'll also say to you on this point you said no theory is is perfect in all areas and i tend to agree with you and we also present live and let live it is exactly the same way because if we had more time to talk about it i could throw some examples out there where the right thing to do in my opinion is to be an aggressor and to violate the live and let live legal principles so there are some little issues around the edge but I say the same thing back to you that you say as a scientist back to me. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think what we're talking about here is so much better than the world we currently have, the structure of our legal system right now, and how we're all going like this to try to get control of the government, to impose our particular moral views, good or bad, on other people. We got to stop doing that if we're ever going to have any hope to get to peace. And then finally, I just wanted to thank you because when you came out with that article, I think it was in the 90s, as you as you said, that's the one I read about climate change, because I didn't know what to believe. Mm. But when I said my, mm. when I saw Michael Shermer and the tone of your article, as I remember, was, you know, I've been kind of a skeptic on this issue, too. I've been a denier. But the evidence is now such that I'm on the other side. Mm -hmm. When you took that position. Instant credibility. Instant credibility. <laughs> when you're saying, yeah, I've been skeptical about this, but I looked at evidence and I looked at what the data was showing yeah, and everything Because like that. I trusted you as an authority on that. My argument had well, been going you. forward. You know, Michael Shermer from the Skeptic Society now says he believed the earth is warming as a result of things we're doing here on the planet, which, of course, as you very well put, doesn't get us to the answer of what to do about it or how big of a problem it is, or as Matt Ridley argues in his book, whether our future technology will be able to deal with this problem down the road. We don't know the answers to those questions. But you know, I like to look at it and say, I like to deal with how big is the harm if it occurs, right? What are the chances the harm is going to occur and how bad would it be if it does occur? So things like nuclear war, if there's an uptick in the chances of that happening, I'm very concerned. Things like climate yep. change, yep. if that's really going on, if there's a real chance we're going to make it much more 
inhabitable for our species and frankly the I cuz I care about the other life on earth as well for the other living species on the planet we got to be very concerned about this issue and I think we got to think outside the box a little bit come up with creative solutions that do not violate and I think there are some that do not violate the live and let live legal principle I think we can get this done if we're firmly committed to not aggressing and we recognize that a trespass is a trespass and if that trespass now is affecting life on earth it's no longer de minimis we can do something about it so i want to just really mm. thank you for every, all your work has been fantastic well, i know thank you, you don't you so. probably don't get as much feedback as you should because there's a lot of quiet people out there like me that have been following mm. your work and mm. have loved what you've done and you've <laughs> really kind of interesting that you never yeah. really know the full reach that you have both mark and i have been big fans of your work for years so oh, we're wow. thrilled to thank have you. you on the podcast well, i had no idea Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Before we depart today, we would like to give you a chance to talk about anything at all you'd like to plug. I want to hear a little bit about Skeptic Magazine. It sounds like one of these uh, such organizations that we oh, were talking we, we, about. We have, a, we have a new design. We just redesigned our issue. It's four color throughout. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's nice. And we're taking on, uh, well, we decided not to take on any controversial subjects anymore, so we tackled trans <laughs> and gender dysphoria. <laughs> yeah, that won't get anybody. Uh, no, no, no it'll be upset. Issue, there. Be fine. Next nice, safe topic. Abortion. Next issue is on abortion. The one after that is on race, and the one after that is on nationalism. Fantastic, so, <laughs> fan. We absolutely right into that's it. the type of magazine well, you know, that I want to read. There's only so many articles you could do on you. Know, is astrology real? No. Okay. Is Bigfoot <laughs> real? No. Okay. You know, it's like we need to move on to other topics that are important, which these are. And much of the these controversies uh, involve just misunderstanding the facts. What are the facts? Right. Or we don't know what the facts are. Right. Now, like with the trans issue, you know, how many people are trans? Well, we don't have a lot of good research on that. It's, you know, 0.01%, 1%. What is it? You know, no one seems to know how many uh, gender dysphoria people are there, you know, youngster. Well, what age? And well, you know, it's hard to say there's conflicting studies. So we need more research. And, you know, where it becomes then political is like, well, then uh, what about uh, young prepubescent children that want to transition, mm -hmm. they want to start the hormone treatments or get the surgeries? Well, those are irreversible. Yeah. So and since they're minors, you know, they, then, they, you know, maybe there should be laws against this, or at least parental consent is required. Very hard questions. Like yeah. yeah, those are hard. Before we check out, I heard you, and this is going to get Andy all fired up, but I heard you give a speech years back that I loved. You said, look, I don't know if you said the atheist community, but I'll say the non-believer community needs to take back the word spiritual. Oh, you're just And I heard your talk on this, and I liked what you had to say, because my recollection yeah. was you were talking about, look, spiritual basically means wondering about what's true about the universe and being inquisitive about, as my uh, mentor, Butler Schaefer, Professor Butler Schaefer used to say, we all want to sort of connect up to the universe. And, and he referred to that sort of as a spiritual yeah. search. So, so take it back. Did it originally, is this an etym etymological argument? Well, is it I a... just mean that, no, well, more just because when people think spiritual, they think you're religious. And even the dating sites now have two boxes, you know, spiritual, but not religious or just religious. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means something like, 
you know, I follow Deepak Chopra or, you know, the new age uh, movement or whatever, not necessarily adherence to any particular religion or a godhead, which is good uh, because, you know, most of us feel some sense of connection and awe and wonder at, you know, things that are much grander than ourselves, the cosmos or nature or deep time, things like that are, are awe-inspiring. And that's good that, you know, that's part of human nature. And uh, so we should be able to all share that regardless of where you get yours from. I mean, you can get it from a hike out in nature by yourself, or you can go to church or you can meditate or do yoga or dance or listen to music or whatever. I mean, that's all I meant is, you know, let's, let's, let's have this for everybody. Well, I love sounds spooky to me. He hated it. I loved it. And it's one of the things that Andy and I disagree on. So we'll keep disagreeing. Well, It depends what you mean by the word. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the word spiritual sound, kind of woo woo so you know i i tend to move away from it also but you know if i think about it you know when i go inside a grand uh astronomical observatory like mount wilson at at, at top la or in your neck of the woods the uh, lick observatory you know it's awe-inspiring i just feel like i'm in a cathedral i feel like i do when i go to shark cathedral and i'm an atheist and i'm in shark cathedral going wow this is incredible and uh, but i feel that way also inside an astronomical dome why because it's you know it's kind of conveying this there's something bigger than you yeah. out there and uh you know just that kind of awe and wonder about it all to me carl sagan was one of the most spiritual people uh ever of any uh, walk of life he certainly you know, had the cadence an of a spiritual guru yes. <laughs> that's right billions awesome <laughs> billions and billions pale blue dot what a great conversation oh, i loved it it was fantastic all right well thank you so much uh, michael such a fun conversation we'll have to have you back on the podcast at some point yeah well so when uh, my next book comes out in the fall uh, on conspiracies we can we can dive more into that oh that'd be Love fun it. yeah all right we're going to put a bunch of links at the bottom of the screen right now go and check out everything that dr Shermer has done and go check out live and let live.org for this podcast and many more there's lots of ways to get involved in this exciting new movement so check it out until next time my friends we're the peace radicals Peace. <laughs> All right, I'll take that too. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. <laughs>